beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you still have your Bibles open and you look above the passage that we just read together from John, we have a little heading over that in, in this particular edition of the ESV. And the title of this section is Jesus Cleanses the Temple. And for probably most of us here, this is a very well-known story, Jesus cleansing the temple. And I think this is another one of the stories in the Bible that we have heard from our youth, and because we have heard them for so many years and know them with such familiarity, that if we are not diligent and, and, and careful in meditating on the importance of this passage, we can sort of read over it and, and treat it as just sort of a matter-of-fact sort of thing without being stunned at what has gone on in this passage. Bible stories, because of familiarity, can lose their sharpness if we're not careful. And so we must be diligent to try to hear these things with New ears, once again. This is an incredible story that is included in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, if you're someone who has never heard this story, and you were told that you were going to hear a story about Jesus cleansing the temple, what might you think that story was going to include? Maybe something like, Jesus and his disciples going to the temple and being disappointed by how filthy and run down it was. And so they gave it a good thorough cleaning, polished up all of the golden utensils that are used for all of the ceremonies, something like that. Well, no, that's not what this story is about. This title of the story, Jesus cleansing the temple, it actually softens the scandalous details of what he actually did. On that day, doesn't it? I think if there was such a thing as newspapers with, with front page headlines back in Jesus' time, then the headline would probably be a, a little bit more jarring and descriptive. You know, something like, Rabbi from Nazareth ransacks the temple, or Carpenter goes on a rampage in Jerusalem, that sort of thing. Because this was... Indeed, very scandalous what went on on this day. It was unthinkable to the Jewish community. Imagine how we might react if, for example, at our general synod. Now, we just had a general synod of the Canadian Reformed Churches this past year in Guelph, but perhaps most of you remember that just a few years ago, we had it here in Edmonton. It was convened by our sister church, the Emmanuel the Emmanuel congregation, imagine if someone disagreed so much with the proceedings that were going on at the General Synod that they marched into the Emmanuel church building, stormed into there, started flipping tables over, and started whipping all of the delegates, beating them you know, mercilessly. What, uh, what news that would be in our community, wouldn't it? It would spread from, or throughout all of our churches and probably indeed throughout even our, our broader Reformed community. Can you believe what happened at the Canadian Reformed General Synod? Incredible. So this was 
quite an earth-shattering thing that, that happened there at the temple. And as Jesus did this, when he cleansed the temple, he was making permanent enemies through his actions. When he did this, he was taking a very big step toward the cross in his ministry. He was antagonizing the ones who would ultimately be responsible for his crucifixion and his death. But we have to understand, too, that what Jesus is doing here, he's not only putting things in motion, he's not only setting his face toward Jerusalem, toward his death, toward his sacrifice through these actions that he's taking, but more importantly, Jesus here is being driven by a fiery and passionate love for the house of his father, a love and a zeal for the temple. That's the primary reason that Jesus is doing what he's doing. Jesus was absolutely infuriated by what he saw going on at the temple. Now we have to understand that. What exactly was going on there that was so disgusting to Jesus Christ? Well, as we read, in the temple courts, he found people selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and he found money changers sitting there. We read that in verses 13 and 14. And now here's his reaction. Verse 15, making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and so on and so forth. Now, what was all of that about? What were, what were these people doing there in the courts of the temple? And we have to understand that the, the temple courts, the, the, when people talked about the temple, they weren't just talking about that one building that had the holy place and the most holy place. That's what we sort of think of when we think of the temple, or if we refer to the tabernacle, we're thinking about the tent itself that had the two rooms, the, the one first room, the holy place, and then the most inner room, the, the holy of holies. But when we're talking about the temple or the tabernacle, we're talking about that building or that tent plus the, the courts that surround it. So Jesus was at the temple in like the outer court, so perhaps either the, the court that women were allowed to progress into or the court of the Gentiles. There were areas deeper in that certain people couldn't progress you know, further in. And it was in those areas that all of this buying and selling and money changing was taking place. So when people came to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, especially at a time like this, in verse 13, the Passover of the Jews at, was at hand. So crowds of people would descend on Jerusalem for this, for this feast, for this time of celebration, and they would offer sacrifices, and so they would bring sacrificial animals for us, or for them, or, or to the temple, and often they would be told that, you know, their animal wasn't quite spotless enough. Right? Temple sacrifices, they, sacrificial animals had to be, had to be blemish-free. They had to be suitable for, for a sacrifice to the Lord. And if, if their animal wasn't worthy, well, they could trade it in and, you know, pay a little bit more for a more suitable sacrifice. Of course, a very profitable scheme there. A lot of money to be made in the sacrifice business. And... When you're coming to the temple, you pay the temple tax, and you have to have the right currency for that. And so if you came with Egyptian coinage or, or Roman currency or, or 
Far Eastern money or, or wherever you came from, there would certainly be very helpful people there ready to get you the right currency for a small fee, of course, right? The people who were conducting business at the temple, the people who were doing this, they weren't interested in ensuring that, that worship was, was right and worship was pleasing to God. These people were there to make money. They were there to defraud people. As Jesus scolds them in verse 16, don't make my father's house a house of trade. They weren't there for worship. For worship, They were there out of, out of greed. They were there for, for commerce, for, for making money. And now, very apt description of, of the things that were going on there, but we still actually haven't quite gotten down to the bottom of why Jesus would be so furious about this. This is quite the reaction. Yes, this was the temple. This was the premier holy place of all holy places, and it's being used for greed. But think about what the temple was really for. What was its prime function? What was the temple meant to do for the people of God. The temple was supposed to reveal God. It was supposed to reveal the salvation that God was providing for his people. I'm sure I've quoted this passage a number of times in this congregation as well from Hebrews chapter 1 about the nature of the revelation of God and the place that Jesus, the Son of God, has in the revelation of God himself. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers at many times and in various ways, but in these last times, he has spoken to us through his Son. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God, is the clearest revelation of everything about God. Jesus Christ is the clearest revelation of the mercy, the love, the salvation of God. Jesus Christ is the exact image and representation of God himself. At all times, God was, in, in the course of God's relationship with his people throughout this entire history, God was revealing one very clear message to his people. And that message is this. Despite your sinfulness, despite, despite your uncleanness, the way of salvation is open for you. I have made a way for you to be with me. I have made a way for you to be cleansed from your sin so that you can be with me forever, with me as your God and with you as my people. That is the steadfast message that God's people were supposed to be hearing from start to finish. This is what all of the Old Testament rituals, sacrifices, laws, everything was teaching that one truth. They taught about the reality of our sin. They taught about the way of our salvation, how we're delivered from that sin. And they taught what thankful and, and faithful 
service to God looks like. Is that, does that structure sound familiar? Yeah, that sounds a lot like what we hear in Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What are we supposed to know? To live and die in the joy of the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. I have to know my sin. I have to know my, my salvation. I have to know that the service that I render to God for all of this. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. That is what the temple is supposed to be revealing to the people of God. It's meant to reveal the gospel of salvation. The temple was pointing ahead to the salvation from God that was coming. It was supposed to speak and reveal all of this very clearly so that God's people would be able to recognize him when he came. Through everything going on at the temple, God's people were supposed to be prepared to recognize Jesus when Jesus arrives. The temple picture of Christ himself. When it was functioning well, it would have revealed the beauty and the splendor of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the temple of God. Right? Jesus identifies himself as that very thing, the temple. Verse 19, Jesus answers them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. But with all this nonsense that was going on there at the temple grounds, the gospel that was supposed to be proclaimed through the temple was completely Hidden, obscured. People were being given this distorted and, and twisted view about God himself, about what worship is and about what would possibly save them from their sins. People could not recognize the truth of God's salvation. No wonder people didn't recognize Jesus when he came and rejected him instead. People were being deceived and blinded, led astray because the gospel was not being proclaimed. God's love and faithfulness was, was covered over. Jesus himself was not being exalted through the worship at the temple. Of course, Jesus was furious. Psalm 69 is quoted in our text and we read and sang from it little bit earlier in the service, Psalm 69 is this beautiful messianic psalm about the suffering of Jesus Christ. When we sing this psalm, we are able to get a glimpse into the, the heart, the mind of Jesus Christ in the depth of his sufferings. When he hung on the cross, when he was being forsaken, forsaken by God himself with the weight of of the wrath of God because of our sins being pressed down upon him, he, he utters these words, Save me, O God. The waters have come up to my neck. I'm weary, calling out for my God. You know my folly, O God. My sin is not hidden from you. Heartbreaking that we put all of this onto Jesus. How wonderful that our God our Lord, our Father, would send his Son to go through that for us. 
That's who God is. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love that our salvation would come in this way. That's what the house of the Lord is supposed to convey to sinners. So yes, how fitting that in that psalm about the suffering of Christ, zeal for your house consumes me. This is the house of God, the dwelling place of God, this, this incredibly rich idea of God's home being with us through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Holy and yet compassionate and merciful and loving God, making his home with the likes of us. That's one of the titles, the names that is given to Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, Jesus is rightly zealous for the house of God. He still has a, a fiery passion for God's home. What about now? What about now? Where is that, that zeal? The temple of God, it still exists today. Jesus does have a zeal, a fiery love and passion for it. I'm not talking about the broken down remnants of the old temple that's still there in Jerusalem. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We read from Ephesians 2 about how we who were in our sins, we who used to have no part of holy God, have been called by God and now have been brought near, been given peace with God through Jesus Christ. We have become the house of God. We have become the home of God. Verses 19 through 22, so then you, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, we're not talking about this building here, this beautiful structure here in St. Albert, we're talking about you, you Christians. In Christ, the whole structure, all of you, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are the home of God. So what is the church supposed to look like today? What are people supposed to understand and think when they encounter the church? Well, they must somehow see something of the salvation of God. They must see, hear, 
In this fellowship, they must see the love and compassion of God for sinners. When anyone comes in and and encounters this, the church, they must see an awful lot of who Jesus is. I want to turn to Philippians 2. Philippians 2 and read a little bit there about the love of Jesus Christ that he has for his people and then in turn the love that we display toward one another because we have the heart of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 verse 5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but in but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God The Father. So, because of all that, now we back up a few verses. Now, this is how we are as the church. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from His love, if any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is how we are as the church, as the body of Christ, because of all that he has done. The way that we treat one another, the way that we forgive one another, the way that this congregation confesses the name of Jesus Christ and clings to the truth of the word of Christ, this church must show the way to God who is Jesus Christ. In other words, may we never obscure the gospel of salvation through whatever might obscure it. Quarreling, living in sin, if in any way through our life, through our actions, we blaspheme the name of God or deny the power of Christ through his Holy Spirit who is at work in us, then we are obscuring the gospel of Christ and we are covering, making unclear the way of salvation who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself is filled with zeal for you, for you. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? It's a heavy thought, but it's a wonderful thought that God is so filled with such a love that this place for you people 
how strongly we are in the heart of God. And it's for his name's sake, for the glory of his name, for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. I preached this sermon this morning in, in Providence, and very comforting and exciting thought to understand that, that the church is the work of God. It's his workmanship. He is the one building his congregation, binding us together in love, cementing our unity with his word and spirit, causing all of us to, to be one, He's causing us to grow this morning in, in our congregation, we witnessed the sacrament of holy baptism. Another, another stone added to the temple of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 verse 5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Another living stone was welcomed in our congregation this morning. What a beautiful thing. And yes, this is indeed the work of God. And we ought to be very eager to, to be clay in his hands, to be molded by his spirit and word. And so what does that look like? Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So let us all have the heart of Jesus Christ for the church, be consumed with zeal for the home of God. Not only for, for the church as it is all over the world, but particularly with this congregation. Be filled with the Spirit of Christ so that our desires for this place, our desires for one another, are the desires of Christ Himself. May we be zealous for this place filled with a fiery love for the church of Jesus Christ and for those who have yet to be brought in, added to this place. And may it be that here, the gospel is crystal clear to anyone who sees you and spends time among you in fellowship. May Jesus Christ be revealed in this congregation. Amen.